Book Four, Chapter Ten of the Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hollis Hanover. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Chapter Ten: How the soldiers, both in Judea and in Egypt, proclaimed Vespasian emperor and how Vespasian released Josephus from his bonds. 1. Now about this very time it was that heavy calamities came about Rome on all sides. For Vitellius was come from Germany with his soldiery, and drew along with him a great multitude of other men besides, and when the spaces allotted for soldiers could not contain them, he made all Rome itself his camp, and filled all the houses with his armed men, which men, when they saw the riches of Rome with those eyes which had never seen such riches before, and found themselves shown round about on all sides with silver and gold, they had much ado to contain their covetous desires, and were ready to betake themselves to plunder, and to the slaughter of such as should stand in their way. And this was the state of affairs in Italy at that time. 2. But when Vespasian had overthrown all the places that were near to Jerusalem, he returned to Caesarea, and heard of the troubles that were at Rome, and that Vitellius was emperor. This produced indignation in him, although he well knew how to be governed as well as to govern, and could not, with any satisfaction, own him for his lord who acted so madly and seized upon the government as if it were absolutely destitute of a governor. And as this sorrow of his was violent, he was not able to support the torments he was under, nor to apply himself further in other wars when his native country was laid waste. But then, as much as his passion excited him to avenge his country, so much was he restrained by the consideration of his distance therefrom, because fortune might prevent him and do a world of mischief before he could himself sail over the sea to Italy, especially as it was still the winter season. So he restrained his anger, how vehement soever it was at the time. But now his commanders and soldiers met in several companies, and consulted openly about changing the public affairs, and, out of their indignation, cried out how, at Rome there are soldiers that live delicately, and when they have not ventured so much as to hear the fame of war, they ordain whom they please for our governors, and in hopes of gain make them emperors, while you, who have gone through so many labors and are grown into years under your helmets, give leave to others to use such a power, when yet you have among yourselves one more worthy to rule than any whom they have set up. Now what juster opportunity shall they ever have of requiting their generals, if they do not make use of this that is now before them? while there is so much juster reasons for Vespasian's being emperor than for Vitellius, as they are themselves more deserving than those that made the other emperors. For that they have undergone as great wars as have the troops that came from Germany, nor are they inferior in war to those that have brought that tyrant to Rome, nor have they undergone smaller labors than they. For that neither will the Roman senate nor people bear such a lascivious emperor as Vitellius, if he be compared with their chaste Vespasian. Nor will they endure a most barbarous tyrant, instead of a good governor. 
nor choose one that hath no child to preside over them, instead of him that is a father. Because the advancement of men's own children to dignities is certainly the greatest security kings can have for themselves. Footnote. The Roman authors that now remain say Vitellius had children, whereas Josephus introduces here the Roman soldiers in Judea, saying he had none. Which of these assertions was the truth I know not. Spanheim thinks he hath given a peculiar reason for calling Vitellius childless, though he really had children, to which it appears very difficult to give our assent. End footnote. Whether, therefore, we estimate the capacity of governing from the skill of a person in years, we ought to have Vespasian, or whether from the strength of a young man, we ought to have Titus, for by this means we shall have the advantage of both their ages, for that they will afford strength to those that shall be made emperors, they having already three legions, besides other auxiliaries from neighboring kings, and will have further all the armies in the east to support them, as also those in Europe. So they are as they are out of the distance and dread of Vitellius, besides such auxiliaries as they may have in Italy itself, that is, Vespasian's brother. Footnote. This brother of Vespasian was Flavius Sabinus, as Suetonius informs us. He is also named by Josephus, presently chapter 11, section 4. End footnote. And his other son, Domitian, the one of whom will bring in a great many of those young men that are of dignity, while the other is entrusted with the government of the city, which office of his will be no small means of Vespasian's obtaining the government. Upon the whole, the case may be such that if we ourselves make further delays, the Senate may choose an emperor whom the soldiers, who are the saviors of the empire, will have in contempt. Four. These were the discourses the soldiers had in their several companies, after which they got together in a great body, and, encouraging one another, they declared Vespasian emperor, and exhorted him to save the government, which was now in danger. Footnote. It is plain by the nature of the thing, as well as by Josephus and Eutropius, that Vespasian was first of all saluted emperor in Judea, and not till some time afterward in Egypt whence Tacitus's and Suetonius's present copies must be correct texts, when they both say that he was first proclaimed in Egypt, and that on the Calends of July, while they still say it was the fifth of the Nones, or Ides of the same July, before he was proclaimed in Judea. I suppose the month they there intended was June and not July, as the copies now have it. Nor does Tacitus's coherence imply less. End footnote. Now Vespasian's concern had been for a considerable time about the public. Yet did he not intend to set up for governor himself, though his actions showed him to deserve it, while he preferred that safety which is in a private life before the dangers in a state of such dignity. But when he refused the empire, the commanders insisted the more earnestly upon his acceptance, and the soldiers came about him with their drawn swords in their hands and threatened to kill him, unless he would now live according to his dignity. And when he had shown his reluctance a great while, and had endeavored to thrust away this dominion from him, he at length, being not able to persuade them, yielded to their solicitations that would salute him emperor. 5. 
So upon the exhortations of Mucianus and the other commanders that he would accept of the empire, and upon that of the rest of the army, who cried out that they were willing to be led against all his opposers, he was in the first place intent upon gaining the dominion over Alexandria, as knowing that Egypt was of the greatest consequence in order to obtain the entire government because of its supplying of corn to Rome, which corn, if he could be master of, he hoped to dethrone Vitellius, supposing he should aim to keep the empire by force, for he would not be able to support himself if the multitude at Rome should once be in want of food. And because he was desirous to join the two legions that were at Alexandria to the other legions that were with him, he also considered with himself that he should then have that country for a defense to himself against the uncertainty of fortune. For Egypt is hard to be entered by land, and hath no good havens by sea. Footnote. Here we have an authentic description of the bounds and circumstances of Egypt in the days of Vespasian and Titus. End footnote. It hath on the west the dry deserts of Libya, and on the south same, that divides it from Ethiopia, as well as the cataracts of the Nile, that cannot be sailed over. And on the east the Red Sea extended as far as Coptus, and it is fortified on the north by the land that reaches to Syria, together with that called the Egyptian Sea, having no havens in it for ships. And thus is Egypt walled about on every side. Its length between Pelusium and Seine is two thousand furlongs, and the passage by sea from Plinthine to Pelusium is three thousand six hundred furlongs. Its river Nile is navigable as far as the city called Elephantine, the forenamed cataracts hindering ships from going any farther. The haven also of Alexandria is not entered by the mariners without difficulty even in times of peace. For the passage inward is narrow and full of rocks that lie under the water, which oblige the mariners to turn from a straight direction. Its left side is blocked up by works made by men's hands on both sides. On its right side lies the island called Ferris, which is situated just before the entrance, and supports a very great tower that affords the sight of a fire to such as sail within three hundred furlongs of it, that ships may cast anchor a great way off in the night-time by reason of the difficulty of sailing nearer. About this island are built very great piers, the handiwork of men, against which, when the sea dashes itself and its waves are broken against these boundaries, the navigation becomes very troublesome, and the entrance through so narrow a passage is rendered dangerous. Yet it is the haven itself, when you are got into it, a very safe one, and of thirty furlongs in largeness, into which is brought what the country wants in order to its happiness, and also what abundance the country affords more than it wants itself is hence distributed into all the habitable earth. 6. Justly, therefore, did Vespasian desire to obtain that government in order to corroborate his attempts upon the whole empire. So he immediately sent to Tiberius Alexander, who was then governor of Egypt and of Alexandria, and informed him what the army had put upon him, and how he, being forced to accept the burden of the government, was desirous to have him for his confederate and supporter. Now, as soon as ever Alexander had read this letter, he readily obliged the legions and the multitude to take the oath of fidelity to Vespasian, both which willingly complied with him. 
as already acquainted with the courage of the man, from that his conduct in their neighborhood. Accordingly Vespasian, looking upon himself as already entrusted with the government, got all things ready for his journey to Rome. Now fame carried this news abroad more suddenly than one could have thought, that he was emperor over the east, upon which every city kept festivals, and celebrated sacrifices and oblations for such good news. The legions also that were in Mysia and Pannonia, who had been in commotion a little before, on account of this insolent attempt of Vitellius, were very glad to take the oath of fidelity to Vespasian, upon his coming to the empire. Vespasian then removed from Caesarea to Berytus, where many embassages came to him from Syria, and many from other provinces, bringing with them from every city crowns and the congratulations of the people. Mucianus came also, who was the president of the province, and told him with what alacrity the people received the news of his advancement, and how the people of every city had taken the oath of fidelity to him. 7. So Vespasian's good fortune succeeded to his wishes everywhere, and the public affairs were, for the greatest part, already in his hands, upon which he considered that he had not arrived at the government without divine providence, but that a righteous kind of fate had brought the empire under his power. For as he called to mind the other signals, which had been a great many everywhere, that foretold he should obtain the government, so did he remember what Josephus had said to him when he ventured to foretell his coming to the empire while Nero was alive. So he was much concerned that this man was still in bonds with him. He then called for Mucianus, together with his other commanders and friends, and in the first place he informed them what a valiant man Josephus had been, and what great hardships he had made him undergo in the siege of Jotapata. After that he related those predictions of his which he had then suspected as fictions, suggested out of the fear that he was in, but which had by time been demonstrated to be divine. Footnote. As Daniel was preferred by Darius and Cyrus on account of his having foretold the destruction of the Babylonian monarchy by their means, and the consequent exultation of the Medes and Persians, Daniel 5, 6, or rather, as Jeremiah, when he was a prisoner, was set at liberty and honorably treated by Nebzaradan at the command of Nebuchadnezzar, on account of his having foretold the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, Jeremiah 40, 1-7, So was our Josephus set at liberty and honorably treated on account of his having foretold the advancement of Vespasian and Titus to the Roman Empire. All these are most eminent instances of the interposition of divine providence and of the certainty of divine predictions in the great revolutions of the four monarchies. Several such like examples there are, both in the sacred and other histories, as in the case of Joseph in Egypt, and of Jadwa the high priest in the days of Alexander the Great, etc. End footnote. It is a shameful thing, said he, that this man, who hath foretold my coming to the empire beforehand, and been the minister of a divine message to me, should still be retained in the condition of a captive or prisoner. So he called for Josephus, and commanded that he should be set at liberty, whereupon the commanders promised themselves glorious things, froth this requital Vespasian made to a stranger. Titus was then present with his father, and said, O father, it is but just, 
that the scandal of a prisoner should be taken off Josephus, together with his iron chain. For if we do not barely lose his bonds, but cut them to pieces, he will be like a man that had never been bound at all. For that is the usual method as to such as have been bound without a cause. This advice was agreed to by Vespasian also. So there came a man in, and cut the chain to pieces, while Josephus received this testimony of his integrity for a reward, and was moreover esteemed a person of credit as to futurities also. End of Book 4, Chapter 10 Recording by Hollis Hanover